Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well, so you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Hello, hello, hello. This is Ryan Pelton, your prolific writer podcast host, and I am extremely satisfied extremely grateful that you have joined us on this new episode, episode number 13, lucky 13. And I find it apropos that we are doing episode 13 with a special guest named Jay Thorne. If you don't know Jay Thorne, he is a best-selling horror author. So the fact that he's doing this on episode 13 is very significant and very apropos and fits very well. That was not planned, by the way. It just happens to be. And it's an awesome interview because Jay Thorne is an awesome guy. And we talk a lot about collaboration and he does a lot of collaboration. He's helped put box sets together. Uh, He's worked with tons of authors and, and written a lot of books that way. He's actually written a book about collaboration and it's an interesting subject. The, the idea of working with another author, another creative uh, to put something together. Often we think of the creative life as one that's just me and my typewriter, me and my laptop, me and my pencil, uh, me and my easel and my canvas and whatever I'm building or making or creating. And, uh, and, and there is truth to that. There, there is a piece that we, we do our work in isolation, but, uh, there's something beautiful and there's something good and right when we can work with other people. And it takes a lot of humility and it takes a lot of confidence in your own writing and your own, um, and Jay talks about this, just your own willingness to learn from other people and kind of share your work together and and get feedback and things like that. So we talk about a a lot of things, uh, collaboration being one of those things, but we also talk about 
his beginnings and, and all the things he's up to. And, and, uh, so hopefully you enjoy this, uh, episode with Jay Thorne. And, uh, I don't have a whole lot to say. I've been kind of fighting a cold this week, so that's not enjoyable. Uh, but excited to share this this interview with you. Uh, just a couple quick things. One is uh, got a, a couple books coming out. Uh, the Boardwalk is coming out soon, and I know I've talked about that. It's on pre-order on all major um, channels, so you can check that out. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, wherever. Uh, check it out. It's, it's coming out really good, and uh, it should be a fun story. Just got it back from the editor, and a good feedback on it. and be cleaning it up and getting the final copy out should be ready i think march 13 and so we're at february 19 so close and a couple other things coming out soon and at editors and i'll talk more about those later but before i do that we're going to get to our interview with jay thorne and hope you enjoy this episode and i'll talk to you real soon Thanks, Jay, for coming on the show, and uh, really thankful for you and uh, chatting a little bit with us today. So have Jay Thorne on the line, and uh, I, if I recall, you are in Ohio, so you got you got to talk about that because I, nothing good happens in Ohio. <laughs> That's what they tell me, Ryan. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> oh, thanks for inviting me on. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not a native Buckeye, but I've been here for about 12 years. And I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is not that far away. Uh, and I've lived in uh, the New York area, New Jersey, Tennessee, uh, moved around a little bit. So, um, yeah, but, you know, I've, I've found most of my adult life has been somewhere in the Midwest-ish. So that's where I am. <laughs> well, I'm in uh, Kansas City. So, you know, we're Midwest Westerners. And I'm, I'm originally from Los Angeles. So, you know, it's a little, ah, okay. little bit of culture shock. But uh, I've been here for, <laughs> I've been here for a while. So we're, we're still getting used to the winters and the seasons and all that. But, um, but hey, thanks for coming on the show and look forward to chatting with you. You have a really interesting story. And I've been following your work for a while. I've been on your email list, read your books and, and heard you on a bunch of podcasts. And, um, and one of the things that, that you talk about a lot, and you're pretty open about is how you got into writing. And one of the, one of the reasons you got into writing, and you can obviously correct me if I'm wrong, is, uh, is actually through some, some difficult things. And you found writing, um, even in the horror, dark, horror, dark fantasy, apocalyptic stuff as kind of, uh, um, therapeutic in many ways. And so I, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about that and how writing and, and kind of the creative world, creative arts have really helped you, um, just in your own life. Yeah, definitely. You're you're absolutely correct. I uh I've been pretty transparent about about some of the stuff I've gone through and you know, we all have burdens, we all carry stuff around with us and and I'm no different um than anyone else who's listening. And uh I think I was very fortunate um to find writing as you said as a as a means to to start to heal a little bit and uh, the reason it, it triggered for me, uh, music and writing for me are, are really two of my passions. And uh, music, uh, I've found music to be um, almost essential to create with other people. And so if you don't have the opportunity to create music and you're a musician, uh, you can still do it. But it for me, it wasn't as fulfilling. And so I think I sort of then used writing as a way to 
to deal with some issues. And uh, it was really, it wasn't a master plan. It was just something that felt really good. Like when I was when I was writing fiction or, or writing stories, I would sort of get what athletes call the zone. You know, I would just kind of fall into this place where I was engrossed in what I was doing. And two hours l- later, you know, I'd look up and I'd miss dinner and, <laughs> you know, stuff's going on. And, and, right. and in a way, like, it's the same reason people like to read. It was an escape. You know, it's escapism. It was not, not having to deal with some of life's really difficult things and yet be productive at the same time. Yeah, I think that's a, a common theme. I, I've actually talked a little bit about that on on this show, uh, uh, the idea of, of writing as therapy. And and sometimes the, the only way – I was actually just reading a, a book. There's a book out by um, – I forget the author's name, but it's a book on C.S. Lewis. And it's it's about his writing craft, and it kind of walks through his life and and tips on you know how he wrote and things like that. But he, he actually talked about it as a young boy that writing for him – uh, was therapy and was there was something you know he'd say God did when I put pen to paper and he used it in his life to kind of heal him from some wounds and things. So I think it's it's very interesting. I hear that that common thread a lot is that you know sometimes we don't know how to express ourselves. You know we don't know how to deal with ourselves or pain or even stuff going on in the world. But sometimes writing becomes this this outlet to do that. Um, and I think sometimes in fiction, even fiction is is even a better outlet than even nonfiction to talk about you know, race and politics and pain and suffering, because I think more people can relate to it often through story. Definitely. And I would even say too, uh, you know, I've, I've written enough now and I've published enough that I can, I can look at a lot of my art, uh, very objectively. And, and I think you have to, as a, as an independent artist, I think you have to, you have to see your art as product at a certain point. But what I found, and I've heard this a lot and it, it kind of ties into this idea of therapy is there was a lot of myself in my first couple of novels um, that you almost have to write through that before – it's almost like a gauntlet. I don't, I don't know how, really how to describe it, but I think a lot of the – whether your, your personal demons or your issues or the things that you have to work through, especially in, their, in those first few novels – it, they really are um, sort of autobiographical, and, uh, and you don't intend it that way, but I think you look back at it, and you can, you can see it for sure. Mm. Very true. I, I, uh, it's funny. I write, uh, I write some fiction, too, crime thrillers and stuff under a pen name, and, and uh, my first book's actually about a, there's a family that loses their, their daughter, um, or he loses his daughter, actually his son, in, in the story. And, and I, it was funny. I don't know where I got that idea from, but my wife and I lost a child. And um, and and it was very subconscious. And then the next one I wrote had something to do with a dad and going to prison. My dad didn't go to prison, but just dealing with dysfunctional families and things. And I realized I'm just writing about my life. <laughs> and, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I didn't try to. It wasn't like, oh, I have this great idea about this family and their kid dies. And, you know, it was just there. Right. Uh, no, I, th- I think that's very true. And, and I think, um, you know, when we talk about ideas and where do ideas come from, you know, a lot of our best ideas come from just life and things we've actually gone through and, and, uh, and putting those down, you know, friends and family and pain and loss. And, um, and, and to, and speaking of ideas, I think one of the questions that writers have often is where do ideas come from? And, um, I've been, uh, working through your American demon, uh, series, which is great by the way. And, uh, I've heard you actually talk about where your idea, uh, came for that series. And I think it's a great example of where ideas do come from. And can you share a little bit about that? Cause I think it's really cool where you, you kind of came up with the concept of that series. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was, 
uh, in, in, well, I'll back up a second. In Cleveland, Ohio, it's an old Rust Belt city, and uh, it's lost population every year for decades. And so, what you end up with is you end up with a lot of urban blight. You know, you have um, factories and house abandoned houses, and it's part of the landscape. Uh, it's not quite as bad as Detroit, but it's sort of in that in that same vein. In that, you if you drive around the city, you're you're going to see a lot of, uh, of decay. I guess is a good way to put it. And I, as I said, was not born or I'm not from Cleveland. And so uh, early on in the first couple of years, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I was, you know, I ended up making a wrong turn somewhere. And, and I, I wasn't lost, but I was coming down a road that I hadn't been on uh, previously. And I looked up on the hill and I saw these domes and I immediately recognized them as sort of uh, an observatory, like an, ast- an astronom- astronomy. You know, I was like, wow, that... That's not like a church or a mosque. Like that's something different. So I, it's kind of in a bad part of town, and I and I pulled over and I hopped out, and sure enough, it was uh, an observatory that had been abandoned, and that just for some reason struck a chord with me. You know, I, I we've all seen abandoned factories and abandoned houses, and now like pictures of abandoned shopping malls are all the rage on <laughs> on internet now, right? There's a fascination with that, uh, but an observatory was something I hadn't seen before, and. Uh, there were there were panels of of glass missing from the windows, and part of the dome was missing, and there was graffiti over it, and it was just that was just this moment where I was like, wow, this is this is kind of, and I immediately wanted to like look up the history of it. I wanted to find out who built it, why it was there, why it was abandoned, uh, and then I discovered that it, that it's it very close in proximity to probably the largest and most famous cemetery in Cleveland, which is Lakeview. And uh, and Lakeview is is really it's really cool. Um, it's got a lot of history, and because of the name, uh, when you come over, when you come into the Mayfield Road entrance and you're at the top, if you look out in the wintertime when all the leaves are gone, you can see Lake Erie in the distance, and it's 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 just very powerful. And so those kind of those two elements, those uh, environmental elements, came together and kind of sparked the idea. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, that that is a, a great example of how ideas are just everywhere. I mean, literally. Um, and sometimes we just need to kind of either write them down or just keep our eyes open. Um, it, you know, it's funny you say that. I was talking about the crime thriller stuff I write. But anyway, it's it's set in a small town, and I'm not from a small town. And, and, and I got the idea just going on a road trip with my family and just in, <laughs> in Missouri and looking out and, and seeing these little small towns and thinking, what would it be like if – if like really bad things happen in these small towns, like crime, you know, cause you just think of small town, nothing happens. It's just boring or whatever. Right. And I just kind of flipped it on its head and said, you know, everybody's writing about, you know, New York and LA and these, you know, ass- uh, you know, uh, assassins and hitmen and all this stuff. I said, well, what if there was like a couple guys in a small town, what would that be like? You know? <laughs> and I mean, that was just kind of the, the seed of an idea. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how, you know, people always ask that, well, where, you know, where'd you get that idea from? And, you know, is there a book I could read or whatever? And sometimes I think it's just keeping our eyes open, um, and, you know, just absorbing life and doing life. Um, now along those lines, obviously you write mostly, um, and I could be wrong, but I think mostly in kind of the horror genre, um, apocalyptic, you know, dystopian, a little bit of fantasy type stuff. Um, and so talk a little bit about, you know, when you have an idea, obviously, um, 
you know, you're kind of working with that idea, but why do you tend to always go to the, the horror genre? I mean, is that just something you, the only thing you, you know, there's no other way or talk a little <laughs> bit about, I know you have a story behind that, but, but, but why horror? Why are you drawn to kind of the horror, fantastical, dystopian type, uh, type stories? Yeah, that's a great question, and I and I don't I don't have an entirely logical answer. Um, <laughs> I think from the time I was a teenager, uh, I have I've felt different. I've just felt odd. Uh, I've not really been into a lot of the things that quote unquote mainstream kids or people are into, and uh, and not in not in sort of a not in an obscene way. Like I'm not sacrificing goats in my backyard or anything. I just I don't. You know, I don't. I'm not interested in some of the, the more mainstream stuff. And when I was a kid, the way that manifested was I read a lot of uh, Stephen King and Dean Koontz, and uh, and I loved like epic fantasy and and I loved that idea of escapism. I wanted to, I wanted to experience something different. And I don't know why that was the case, but that's just sort of how I'm wired. And I think ever since then. Um, that really hasn't changed for me. My, my taste in literature and film and music uh, has stayed fairly consistent throughout my entire life. And I, so I think as a writer, um, you know, I'm the first reader. And if I can't get excited about the story I'm writing, I can't expect anyone else to get excited about it. So I, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Chris Fox. He's another independent writer, and and he. He has a whole um, a, a scientific approach to writing to market, which kind of gets a negative connotation in some circles. This idea that you would write something in order to sell it, and I don't see it that I don't see that as negative at all. I think if if you can write something that people want to read and you love it, that's sort of the that's the perfect intersection for me between art and commerce. And so that's been my approach, and I've even I, I've even sort of. Uh, adjusted since I started, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, I was writing mostly horror. And and now I'm sort of moving more towards the dystopian uh, post-apocalyptic stuff because I've found that those are the stories that, that I truly, really love as a reader. And and so that's what I'm trying to sort of write more of now. Yeah, I think that's, that's there's a lot of wisdom there. I, I, you're right. I think there's a there, there's a weird. I, I think there's. I see t- with the Chris Fox, you know, writing a market book and and all that. You know, everybody goes out and writes. You know, um, Space Marine and yeah, um, and you know, doesn't really think twice. But they've never read a Space Marine book in their life. Or right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's where where he gets a bad rap because he you know he talks about he loves science fiction. And that's what he's always read and what he's you know. And I think that's when you start writing. That's where you naturally go. That's what the kind of stories you write. I mean, it's it's kind of in your subconscious. It's it's the stuff you're drawn to. I mean, I, I, I love crime thriller stuff and that's what I tend to write a lot of too. Um, and, um, you know, and I think that's good advice just to people listening that, that they understand. It's like, you're not writing just to make a buck, but you're writing things that you, you love. And, and that comes through. I think readers see that and they feel that and they, you know, I'm reading your American demon hunter and, and it's obviously, you, you know, you love the genre. It's not like you're faking it or you're, yeah. <laughs> you know, just forcing these tropes into the story or whatever. Um, but that comes out on the page and, and that's huge because then it, it, it makes writing so much more enjoyable. Uh, you know, you, you don't have to tell someone, Hey, you better, you know, better do your words today. It's like, well, I, I get to do my words today. I'm excited. Who knows where the story's going to go? Um, right. and, uh, yeah, so that's, that, that's great. Um, you, you know, one of the things that that's interesting in your, your career and your journey here as a writer is, 
you know, I've noticed you have, you know, I don't know, 50 plus things on Amazon. I mean, you've written a lot of things. Um, but what's unique with you too, and you've actually written a book on it, is uh, you do a lot of collaboration. Um, so talk to us a little bit about your your collaboration. You, you've worked with all kinds of different authors. You've helped put books together, you know, um, box sets and all that. Where, where did that kind of desire come from? Because you're also very generous with the indie community and trying to help other authors and, and get people out there and get their names out there and stuff. So talk a little bit about kind of the collaboration piece. Yeah, sure. Uh it's it's getting harder for me to talk about this because <laughs> I've done uh, I've been involved in so many different collaborations and different types. Every time I talk about it, I, I forget to mention something, and I feel like I'm slighting someone. So I'm going to apologize yeah, ahead of time. Just make a here. blanket statement. You'll yeah, be fine. like yeah, I'm not leaving anyone out in particular. It's like the Oscars, you know. Anyone I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think it, it it really came from being a musician, and and that's. I think I've brought a musician's attitude to writing. And, and writing has historically been a, a pretty solitary endeavor. Uh, and, and there are a lot of writers who are really proud about that. And, and I am too. Like I, I'm still a lone wolf, and I, and I still enjoy uh, locking myself in a room and writing and, and, and doing it and getting it done. But I think uh, if you've ever been in a band or if you've been a musician or part of a dance troupe or, uh, or even an athletic team, I think it's a, I think it's a safe analogy – you realize that there's there's something special when you have a common goal with other people, and I think that's been the driving force in, for me in collaborating is trying to achieve more than we all could separately together. And uh, the latest example, since you, um, you've been uh, talking about the American Demon Hunters, I had originally mapped out um, uh, eight or nine book series when I was writing the first one. And when, when I was done writing the first one, I felt like I had an opportunity to experiment. And uh, I like to experiment. I like to take risks. They don't always work out. But my experiment was, like, what if I could have some friends and some up-and-coming indie authors uh, write in this world? But I wanted to make it I didn't want to make it a burden. I didn't want to ask someone if they wanted to write an entire novel in my world. So I came up with this idea of having the American Demon Hunter series written in novellas. So you have the, the main characters who finish the novel, and I won't spoil anything, uh, and then they get these sort of episodes that are almost like TV episodes. So you have the same characters, but they, they face a new challenge every story. And these stories happen to be based in different cities across the United States. And uh, first thing, you know, I wanted to seed the world with some work, so I asked some of my 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 friends. You know, my my partner Zach was one of the first people I asked, and and then what I wanted to do is um, I wanted to give people an opportunity who were sort of had a one book out or two books out or who were just kind of starting. I wanted to give them the opportunity to kind of get on the map because discoverability is getting harder and harder, and whatever <laughs> whatever my brand or my platform is worth. Uh, I thought it would be cool to collaborate with someone and give them an opportunity to kind of get their name out there, and uh, and it, you know and it's I don't want to make it sound like charity. It's not charity because I, what I get is I get a sort of a consistent stream of content creation that I can also use and sell. So uh, the collaborations are they're not they're not pure collaborations where we're bouncing material back and forth. So the you know, the, the writers in these novellas are are writing drafts and then I'm working more as sort of like the developmental editor and uh, and I take it through three or four revisions um, so I guess that that's the most the most recent example of collaboration I've been working on 
So when you are when you write one of these stories, are, are you? I, I probably should look. I mean, I've looked at the the titles, but uh, are you actually putting words in there? Or are you more doing just the the pure edits? It really depends. Okay. Um, the, the way what what I've told these these writers, the, the people who are doing the novellas, as I said, you you just give me what you want to give me. Like if if you want to give me a really rough first draft, just just tell me that. Or if you if you want to give me something you've written and then revised a few times, just tell me that. Uh, and then I I take it from there. So once they once they finish the first draft, they don't have to do anything else from that point on. That's also the other part of the bargain. It's like I. I handle all of the – I pay for all the editing. Like I still have professional editing done even after I revise it. And then I have professional proofreading and, and, and professional cover design and all the marketing that goes around it. So they – those those people who are writing those novellas don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Okay. And, and when you edit, go back in and edit, is that part of also kind of getting that voice to sound like – I mean I don't want to say it's your voice, but you know, even out the voice. I mean when you do a collaboration, do you find that a, a challenge? It is a challenge, but it's it's one I enjoy. It's uh, you no, know, I, I have to find a balance between allowing that writer's style to kind of shine, but also keep the experience consistent for the reader. And one of the ways I do that is I have a uh, a story outline for the novellas. It's it's really loose, like it's just a matter of hitting certain points in the story. But if you think about a television show. Uh, Law and Order is always the one I always think of because I've been watching that since I was a kid. Like there is a certain pace and formula to Law and Order, yet you tune in every week <laughs> if you're a fan. Yep. So that's the approach I've I've taken with these. I'm like, here's what, here's where like the challenge has to come in. Here's where the main characters have to overcome the challenge, but then they discover there's a bigger challenge. So I give that to the writers first, and then they sort of fill that in okay. so that it does have a consistent. You know, there's a consistent storytelling element for the reader. Well, you know, in Law and Order, you know, the guy, the first 15 minutes, it can't be that guy because then the show would be over and there's still like 45 minutes <laughs> left. So, you know, that's right. <laughs> that's just a little, you know, red herring or Easter egg or right. whatever. But, uh, no, that's great. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think one of the challenges of, of collaboration um, is you probably, you know, what I've heard others talk about is you, you do have to get over your ego a little bit and be okay with, um, you know, because it's such a solitary creative, you know, outlet. You know, you write, like you said, you write in your, you know, in your office by yourself and then you're allowing someone else in and you're kind of, you know, working together. It's, it's kind of hard. I mean, it's, oh, they're going to see my terrible first draft or they're going <laughs> to, you know, um, you know, you feel a little bit naked and vulnerable, but, but I imagine you, you've probably learned a lot, um, in doing, uh, doing collaboration with other authors. I mean, probably even from, you know, the way they write or, or their process or, or things like that. I mean, are there any things you kind of take away from that? Yeah, definitely. It, it really depends. You learn something different every time. Uh, there's no question about it, but I think, uh, also every collaboration is very unique. Um, so, for example, uh, Joanna Penn and I wrote Risen Gods. That We wrote that first draft in 19 days, which is insane. Like, I think about that now, and, and you know, and because she's in the UK, uh, she would get up and write her chapter, her words, and then later in the day, uh, I would come to it and write mine. So we were banking, like, three to 5,000 words a day, um, and, and that, that really adds up. But it was also... 
and both of us had to get over this. Like that was just first draft stuff. Like I just kind of vomit onto the screen in first draft. I'm not, you know, I don't worry about a lot of style or grammar or mechanics. I, I want to just get the main story out and then I'll, and I'll fix it in revisions. But when you're writing with someone else, you are also human, and so you're thinking like, God, do I really want to put this piece of garbage in front of Joanna Penn? You know, right. <laughs> uh, and so like you know, you you learn you learn to let go a little bit. You know, um, another another learning opportunity for me was uh, Glenn James and I are writing the Dustfall series together, and we're we're finishing revisions for book three, and Glenn and I kind of did, we're writing stuff at the same time, um, but we're deciding. So Joanna and I sort of did a handoff, and Glenn and I are just picking which chapters we want to write separately, okay. and then putting it together. And one of the things I learned from Glenn is that uh, is how to do sort of this master story arc. Like Glenn is really good at saying like, "Hey, in chapter ten, you had this guy with a gun, and in chapter four, he dropped it in the lake." You know, mm-hmm. and and I'm like, "Wow!" And and so, so sort of watching how he approaches that and learning from him has been really great. So you kind of have these, you know, depending on the collab, uh, the collaborator and the type of collaboration you're doing, you, you can't help but learn a lot of stuff when you collaborate. Well, let's, let's go all the way back. Um, little, little boy, Jay Thorne, um, you know, at his typewriter, he's just starting to write stories. Um, talk a little bit about your process and just kind of, I'm always, we're always interested in how kind of the evolution you've, t- you've hinted at a little bit, you know, how you write, where you're at learning from other people, but, but talk a little bit about just your own, you know, your own journey as far as putting the actual words on the paper and when you started, what it looked like then, what it looks like now. I mean, as far as you're obviously very prolific. So we want to hear a little bit about just your process and how you get the words on the page, when you write, how you write, you know, things you're learning along the way. So talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, no matter how many words you write, it's one at a time. So, <laughs> right, right. So I'll preface everything with that. I know, um, you know, I, I know you can. If you look at the Amazon page or whatever, you know, if you're if you're just starting out, you, it, it seems like a mountain. But you know, I started there too. You know, I started with a blank Amazon page in 2009. Um, I, I the 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 process for me is it's really about consistency, but it changes. So when I when I was first drafting I was writing my first novel and I had no idea what I was doing I read Stephen King's on writing I finished that book and I was like okay I'm gonna write an uh, an epic fantasy like of course right that's where you start I don't know I don't know what I was thinking (laughs) the easy Uh, stuff yeah right exactly you know and I didn't know any better and that that novel which I uh, have unpublished since that that first draft took me like nine months and now that was a it was a hundred and fifty thousand words, uh, but still I compare that to you know doing Risen Gods with Joanna and that first draft took nineteen, um, and I, the reason for that is since two thousand eight two thousand nine uh, I've been doing it every day and I've had a day job and so I get up um, really early I get up when it's still dark out before the, my family and my kids my wife is up. And I've been writing, and I just I just been doing that every day, and it and it adds up, and it, there's nothing magical about it. There's no sort of secret hack that's going to get you a novel. It's just going to be one word, one paragraph, one chapter at a time. Mm-hmm. No, I like that. I, I always use this word, the idea of like a hard hat, 
you know, creative, you know, we put on our hard hat and we go to work and, um, you know, you probably resonate with that living in Ohio and, you know, the the Midwest, you know, we can, you know, the, the rust belt and just, you know, it is, it's, it's, we're always looking for that muse or that inspiration and, and, and granted there are times where we're more inspired than others, but, but yeah, I think there isn't really a magic formula. Um, it's just consistency and, and, um, I really enjoy you. You've probably heard of that, you know, Dean Wesley Smith, he he talks a lot about this and, um, you know, we make, we make writing into kind of this mythical thing, you know, and, and he's like, Hey, I write more than anyone else because I just put, put more butt time in the, you know, I have more butt time right. in the chair or whatever. <laughs> and he's like, I don't type fast. I don't, you know, I hunt and pack. And yet it's just adding more words, adding more words, practicing. And then I think as you get you know, more practice, you get better. Um, and it's not as, it, it doesn't mean it's ever easy. It's not, um, finishing anything. Um, no, no, but, it isn't. But you tap into that muscle, that creative muscle, and 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 I like what you said earlier about, you know, people are struggling with how do I do this, how do I finish that book? Is to ask the question: Do I love the genre I'm writing in? Do I love the project? Because I think if you don't love it, you won't finish it. I, I think there's always this kind of what is going on? You know, it's maybe it's the story, maybe it's the genre, maybe just try something else, write a short story, to, you know, just kind of mix it up. Um, yes. Yes. But I think that's always uh for me, I know when I get stuck, it's like, yeah, I, I don't I don't really enjoy this this one. Maybe I'll just put <laughs> it away, you know, <laughs> and find something that I'm excited about. But uh but no, that's really great. I, I think um well let me ask you this. So uh you do you did early morning. Um now is that because just your your rhythm of life or are you a more of a morning person? Um talk to, you know, those that maybe are like, Man, I don't I don't get up early or I, I can't do that or I work a you know, a weird shift or something. Um, does that matter when you write? I don't think it does. Uh, I, I think the you know there's there's a lot of science that that uh, supports the idea that all humans are the most productive in their first three hours after they wake up. Mm-hmm. Now, when you wake up, <laughs> certainly <laughs> you know that's that's on you. But um, I think that's why for me it's always been uh, early in the morning. There's also sort of the psychological piece to it, uh, especially if you still have a day job or if you have all these other commitments. If you get your writing done first, the rest of your day feels like gravy. Mm. And, and it's just a wonderful feeling. Like, like no matter what happens, you feel like you were productive mm-hmm. if you got your words in or you got your whatever in early in the morning. And it's the same psychology people use on themselves for workouts. Mm-hmm. You know, There are people who swear by an early morning workout because they're more likely to do it there's no other distractions around. Everyone else is still sleeping, and they get it done first thing in the morning. So I don't think it's anything more than that for me. Okay. Uh, I, I will say, too, um, and I mentioned this not to be a braggart, but just to sort of drive the point home that, that you mentioned earlier, uh, I think I'm coming up on like 1.5 million words published. And what happens when you, when you, write, uh, when, when you write a lot is you just naturally get better. Again, it's not a. It, there's no secret. There's no hack. It's just, you know, you're exercising that muscle. So when I sit down in the morning now, you know, I can get I can get two or three thousand words done in half the time I could seven years ago, and that that should be the case. Like if if it's not getting easier after doing it for all that while, I'm I'm not doing something right. So so talk to us about are you uh, outliner pantser somewhere in between, um, you know. T- eat mushrooms. I mean, what, how do you, how do you tap into that? What, what keeps you kind of going? Well, I started out as a pure pantser 
And I was kind of arrogant, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to let the muse tell me where to take this story. And and I wrote a few books that way, and, and they're good. Like, I, I don't – I'm not ashamed of them, but I think – um, as I've done this more, I've sort of moved more towards the middle ground. I, I don't like highly structured outlines. I feel like that saps a lot of the joy out of the writing process. It feels like you're just, I, I don't know. I've never enjoyed that, but I think now I'm in more of a middle ground. And, um, about a year or two ago, I, uh, Sean Coyne released the story grid. And, and for me, that's been a phenomenal resource. Like that is, the middle ground of uh, Panzer and Plotter. And if, you're, if your listeners are not familiar, he's got a whole podcast he's doing with Tim Grawl. Um, but Sean Coyne is, was a developmental editor for uh, New York City, big New York City publishers for decades. And he has, he's done developmental, developmental editing on hundreds of books. And so what he has come up with is sort of a guideline and you can get as you can get as specific or as loose as you want with it, but it's basically a guideline of how stories are told, and and it's based on the very traditional three act structure. And for me, it gives me enough of a framework that I kind of know where I'm going, but I'm not I'm not railroaded into that paragraph on the outline that I wrote last night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I think there there's so many different ways of writing. I mean, you you said you wrote you wrote or you read on writing as probably most humans or at least writers have yes. um, you know and king is a is a very open pantser i mean he just says hey i i pants like crazy you know lee child is a pantser yes. you know doesn't know where he's going but but i i still think and this is just my theory i don't know anything but um it is no one's a pure pantser um because you have a character you have an idea you have some you know maybe a setting or something you know you don't just get to the page and go, I have zero, nothing. I'm just going to go. Um, there, there is some, you know, like I like the way you said kind of that middle ground. It's like, yeah, there's some ideas. It doesn't mean I have to be married to every, you know, plot point. Um, but I kind of have an idea where I want to go. And, and that's, that's the joy of the discovery too, is, you know, I, I do, I don't know what I do kind of a middle, middle ground too. Um, but I find myself going all, all over the place. Like, Oh wow. I didn't know they're going to go over here, but I think that's where the story needs to go. Um, cause you want to have joy too, right? You want to have fun. I mean, that's what right. King always talks about. He's like, I don't want to be bored. Um, right. <laughs> and Lee child talks that way. He's, he's like, I, if I know where it's going, I'm, you know, he talks, they always make fun of the, I don't know who the author is, but the one who writes the, the last scene first, you know, the ending. <laughs> and he says, you know, that's where I begin. And he's like, are you kidding me? That's, that'd be the worst thing ever. Um, <laughs> you know, to know exactly where it's going to go before I even start. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there's not one way. I think there's, there's, you just have to kind of, you know, experiment and try and, and see what's, what works for you. And, and just, but, you know, I think the most important thing is do something. I mean, do something to kind of get you going and, and pushing the ball forward uh, in your writing. Um, that's, that's the most dangerous piece. When I, when I see people who um, want to be writers and they haven't written anything, mm-hmm. that, that's usually a big red flag. Like uh, it's fine if you want to read books and take courses and do workshops and, mm-hmm. And all that kind of stuff on writing, but at the end of the day, a writer writes, and and if you're not writing something, even if it's a hundred words a day, if you're not writing something, you're not going to get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a danger too. Those that like you were talking about, you know, you don't do crazy outlines, but outlining can be actually a waste of time. Where you're you're just you know ten thousand word outlines and you know all these character arcs and story arcs and then you're not writing anything you're just yeah. you're taking six months to write an outline um 
you know, that, that also can be an excuse, um, to not start putting something down. Definitely. I think that's great. Um, so, um, so kind of a middle, middle of the road, you've evolved from a pantser, recovering pantser into kind of an (laughs) outliner. Um, and tell me one kind of, there's probably a million you could, you could give us, but, but, but what's one thing that has really helped you as a writer? Um, you know, whether you call it a tip, advice, wisdom, whatever, um, that you say, you know, this was kind of an aha moment for me as I was kind of learning how to write, um, you know, publishing things. I mean, what kind of, kind of got you over the hump to say like, I could, I, I think I can do this. Anything that kind of comes to mind? Uh, wow. That's, that's a tough question. Um, I feel like I'm so stubborn that I've probably ignored a lot of those feedback loops over the years, <laughs> which is not a good thing. Um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, it's a fine balance. So, I don't rely on external validation. Like I kind of feel like if if Amazon like if Amazon crashed tomorrow or they said we're no longer selling books and and people were like we're not reading anymore, I would probably still write. So I I don't I don't rely on that. However, there's something extremely motivating and satisfying when uh the the someone you don't know uh, reaches out and says, and either leaves a review or sends you an email and just says, you know what, I, I started your book and uh, I couldn't put it down until I was done. And I was up till 3 a.m. reading it and I was late to work. Like that's a, those kinds of moments, um, you know, ho- hopefully all writers get those. And I think those, when those start to come in or those start to happen, or even if they only happen once, it, it really, it makes it real. And, and you realize that, uh, even though you can't see and you can't talk to and you can't hear the person on the other end, uh, you know someone else is is reading that story and it's making a difference in their life. And even if it's just, you know, allowing them to set their troubles aside for a few hours and just enjoy the experience, to me that's worth it. Hmm. I think that's great. I, I think listening to you know opinion review, I, I think if we obsess over those things, you know, it can be paralyzing. And, uh, you know, I, I think, man, the Amazon reviews are always so difficult because sometimes like I got hammered on one of my books and, and it was funny because all the reviews weren't like, Oh, it, you know, there's typos and there's grammar and stuff like that. It wasn't that at all. It was actually the fact they didn't like the fact I used humor Mm -hmm. and, and, and yet, you know, they still finished the book and whatever, but it was like they were hammering, you know, even though it says in the description, there will be lots of laughs. It's a different kind of, you know, that kind of thing. And and it's, it's almost like, well, you're not allowed to do that, you know? And, and, and I, you know, I kind of had a day where I was like, Oh gosh, you know, why am I doing this? And, um, but realizing, you know, that the critique you learn from it and you go, okay, that's, you know, that's, that's fine. But you know, art and, 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 books and things that can be so subjective too. I mean, the things you love aren't the things I love and vice versa. And, you know, why do we like certain things and not other things? And, and I think sometimes there is a, a balance of like, well, I'm, I'm not going to destroy someone just because I didn't like it. That doesn't mean it's not a good book. I just didn't enjoy it. Um, right. You know, uh, but, but that's, I think that's a good perspective, uh, Jay, just to kind of, you know, say, you know, do we write because we love it? Do we write because we have to, or do we write because of, you know, we're looking for validation. And obviously when we get validation, it makes it all the more enjoyable, but can we keep writing even when the validation's not there? I guess that's the, the kind of question of all questions. Um, I would agree, you know, and, and I hope we all could say we could, um, you know, I've been, I've been a little frustrated, uh, just, 
you know, being part of the indie community and just reading a lot of things on it's kind of an over and I could be way off and you can smack me around if, if I'm off, <laughs> but so much on marketing, so much on, you know, how to get more eyes on the book. And I know that's a part of, you know, running an author business and publishing and things, but, but also like, are we forgetting our first love? You know, are we forgetting why we do this in the first place? And it's, and it's, you know, long before we ever made a nickel, <laughs> you know, it was, we just had stories to tell. And we, you know, I, I started when I was eight years old, just telling these, you know, you know, Sir Ryan Pelton, you know, night stories about, you know, <laughs> princesses and kings and knights. And, and, and we forget, like, why do we write? You know, what's, what is it? And, I, you know, I even go back to what you're saying about, you know, writing being therapy. Like, we have to be careful. We don't fall into that, too. Um, where it's just a business and it's just making money. And obviously we want to, you know, provide for our families if, if we, you know, have to, as far as our only income, but, um, but, you know, we want to have that love for, for what we're doing and what we're creating. Um, I think that'll sustain us longer than just, you know, marketing and whatnot. Um, so, um, a couple other, uh, other questions. Um, you know, we talked about ideas. We talked about collaboration, you know, consistency, um, things of that nature. Now, one of the things I, what I think is, is very cool about your story and your journey is that you're very prolific, but you're also very prolific because you do a lot of things. Um, it's not just writing books, but you have podcasts and I'm, I'm really bummed, uh, that you and Zach don't do a podcast anymore. Um, and actually this is kind of funny. I, I hadn't listened to it for a while and then I, turned on the the episode where you're like hey guys we're not doing this anymore so i was like oh jerks so um but you did talk about you know some new ideas and projects and things you were working on that was part of the reason um but talk a little bit about you got your uh your intranaut podcast which is great for introverts i love just how you're open about that and talk through that and and uh and then you, you talked to me earlier off the air about you know kind of beginning maybe the the full-time journey and other projects going on so talk a little bit about that that you're not just kind of a one-trick pony but what else do you have going on and and you know why the podcast and all that kind of stuff yeah i think uh I, again starting the podcast is because it's something i love doing uh i used to <laughs> i used to be my own radio dj in my bedroom making mixtapes <laughs> nice. and when i was a kid and i didn't i didn't give them to anyone i, I mean occasionally i would give them to a girl and then i would be super embarrassed and you know <laughs> would just ruin my chances but i loved there was something about the microphone it's sort of a performance uh, i liked having an audience uh which is kind of weird for an introvert like that's not necessarily what people think but i think that's where the podcasting idea came from and from a business standpoint, uh, you know, jo my friend Joanna Penn's really good about this in sort of diversifying uh, revenue streams. Uh, you can certainly make a living uh, doing just writing, but most writers don't. They they may, they do other stuff. And I think for anyone out there who's listening, who who's a writer, and then trying to figure out what else they do, want to do, or can do, I think you get, again have to tap into your personal passion. So uh, I know you know a friend of mine who's a, a horror writer, Keelan Patrick Burke, is also a phenomenal cover artist. He's a graphic designer. Uh, so he writes, but he also does book covers. And uh, I think that's kind of, that's been my approach. Like, I, there's no direct sales link between uh, an episode of The Internaut and one of my books. Like, and if there is, I'll never see it. So it's easy for someone to say, like, well, that's, that's not your core competency. And if you're not writing, you're not going to be making any money. So you shouldn't be doing those podcasts. Uh, I think you need to have a balance, and and really the podcasts that I'm doing, the ones I've done, 
are uniquely me. So the two that are that are running right now are the Intronaut, which is the, the one for introverts, and then I just started one with uh, Rachel Heron called The Pedal to the Metal, and it's a, uh, it's a podcast about transitioning from the day job to the dream job. Okay. So I think these are, you know, these are, in, in a grander sense, you know, you talk about marketing, uh, especially in 2017, and I believe that you're not marketing a, a book or a series or a catalog. You're kind of marketing and branding yourself, and who knows, like, you know, in 20 years from now, am I still going to be writing books? I don't know. I'll be telling stories, but will they be books? Who knows? And I think if um, if you uh, if you're opportunistic and you tap into things that you naturally like to do, and they don't get in the way of the other stuff, um, then I think you should do it. And that's sort of my my approach on podcasting. That's great. Yeah, and I, I think it gets people, it gets you exposure to other, you know, to to more people. It's a di- totally different audience, and then they realize, oh, Jay Thorne actually writes books, and I should you know, check those out. And they're not always the same audience, but, but it's just a, a matter of, you know, and there's, I have to be honest too. There's like when I, you know, I've listened to your podcasts and things in the past, but there's something about when, when you hear their voice, like you're like, Oh, this is a real human <laughs> who like, you know, has pain and has a family and has, you know, all these things. It kind of gives a different perspective on your, on your books. Like it's not just, you know, a, a piece of paper or, or a, you know, digital copy or whatever, but it's an actual person. You go, Hey, when I'm reading this, I'm like, I've, I've heard this guy talk before, you know, <laughs> it, it's a whole different kind of experience. And, and I think, you know, in a positive way where, especially in the indie community where you're kind of like, Oh, this guy's actually a good guy. Like he, he, you know, is really helpful and he's not just trying to sell stuff, but he's, you know, and he's very open about his struggles and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think that's a, a unique, I think it makes the day we live in very unique. Um, you know, you think about like the SPP guys. I mean, I don't know how many, how, how much that translated into book sales, but I mean, you, you listen to them talk and you're, they're goofy and whatever. Um, but there's like a, a personality behind the books and, um, it, it's kind of interesting. Um, so now let me ask you this. So you, you have a couple podcasts. Um, and one of the things I remember you talked with, you know, you, I know you work with Zach Bohannon, who's also a, um, zombie, I should say zombie writer, apocalyptic dystopian kind of writer. And, yes. um, are you guys, um, still kind of in the works of you were doing something, working on something? Is that public knowledge or is that under wraps or what have you? Yes. We're, uh, well, we're, we're sort of doing two things. One is a subset of the other. We are uh, launching, uh, by, I guess it's a publishing company, a small press. It's called Molten Universe Media. And we are going to team up. And our phase one of, of this Molten Universe project is to write a trilogy together. Okay. So we are just now getting ready to send book one off to an editor. And so hopefully it will be out fairly soon. Uh, the, the series is called The Final Awakening. And it's going to be a, a post-apocalyptic story set in New Orleans with a little bit of a twist that I don't want to spoil. Um, and that's going to be what we're going to do in 2017 is with Molten Universe, we're going to try and and really build up a catalog. So Zach and I are going to co-write a, as much stuff together as we can. And then once we sort of establish ourselves, establish our press, um, we called the company Media for a reason. We We are going to then hopefully branch out and uh and this is where sort of the other interests come in um zach and i are both big fans of heavy metal so uh and and other and, and we love television and movies and so 
Uh, we're going to look to other areas of storytelling, and it, it, it could be collaborations with musicians. It could be graphic novels. Uh, it could be video interpretations. We're not really sure yet, um, but that's that's it. So Zach and I are going to do Molten Universe together, and then this uh, this series is going to be the first product that we put out with that label. Great. I think it's a great example. You you know you talked about kind of diversifying and and you know spreading the the revenue streams and all of that. I, I think it's a you know seeing that more and more um, people kind of expanding spreading their wings and really seeing I think seeing their their writing career as a as a you know I'm a publisher I'm a business person it's not just writing a right. book and um, but yeah there's other mediums there's other pa- platforms and I, I love the way you you kind of you're just taking the things you love you know like you said heavy metal and music and writing and creativity and and all and storytelling and kind of mashing them up together and <laughs> and you know expressing yourself and telling stories in just a lot of different different ways i think that's just really cool um and, and yeah i think we're going to see see kind of more of those models uh, along the way so um so when is is kind of this uh is this like out there already or is it as soon as the first book's out or how's that how's that working for you yeah we we have uh at moltenuniversemedia.com, we have a landing page up. So if people want to throw in an email address, uh, we'll let you know when the when the first book is out. Uh, we are probably going to write like a little short story, an accompanying short story that goes along with it, um, with the first book of this trilogy that we're writing. So that'll be available, uh, and and relatively soon. I mean, we're we're hoping to get this to the editor, have it turned around, make a few couple more passes at it, a proofreader. Uh, we already have the covers made, so you know. Hopefully, hopefully it's just a matter of uh, you know a month or two, maybe. I'm guessing, uh, you know, uh, but it, it'll be soon. And and once we get going, um, you know, we're we're really going to hit it hard in 2017. And Zach and I uh, both have uh, complementary work ethics. Um, we kind of know what which is. Zach is really good at at first drafting, and and I'm good at revision. So. We're, we have an arrangement where he's going to do most of the, uh, the first drafting, and I'm going to take care of all the revisions. Uh, and then, um, you know, and Zach is really good on the marketing side, so he's he's definitely sort of uh, more plugged into what the latest uh, tips and tricks are. And uh, you know, we're hopefully going to use some of those. But um, you know, the idea was finding someone who was compatible in that way, and it's kind of what the SPP guys do. You know, you have. Uh, you know, Johnny and and Dave both write early drafts, and then Sean is the guy who revises them. So that that's roughly that's kind of how Zach and I are approaching it. Okay. Now, before we go, uh, I always ask this question: is kind of your this might be a two part question, but one is is just kind of where you see. I mean, you've been around, you know, writing books since two thousand nine. Uh, kind of where do you see you know indie publishing writing going? Um, kind of what's the next thing? Um, if you will, and then kind of one one tip you would want to give kind of aspiring writers or people that you know want to write more. We we say write you know more often and fast, or write more often and uh, well. Um, so so kind of where do you see things going, and then and then maybe any kind of advice you want to give kind of aspiring writers. All right, uh, I have no idea where things are going to go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what what I do know is this, and and I think people who are feeling sort of uh, whiplash from the modern digital era and sort of not being able to keep up with the technology. Uh, I would say that uh, people will always want stories. They will always want to be entertained through storytelling. 
And so if, if you kind of keep that in mind and that's, that's what you want to do, there's going to be a place for you. Would, will it be typing on a keyboard letters on a digital screen? I have no idea, but I do know people will want to consume stories. So, um, so, so I, I would, you know, I would definitely say be optimistic and, uh, and realize that, but, but also be adaptable and, and, uh, and, and sort of pay attention to what, what the culture's habits are, uh, um, you know, um, you might love paper books, but is that is that the future of reading? Uh, pretty doubtful, you know. Um, as far as an indi- you know individual advice, um, you know, oftentimes I, I say that I answer this question, and people have heard it a million times, and so it kind of becomes pointless. Which is, you know, well, you just keep writing. But so I, I'm going to give you a very specific tactic for this that helped me, um, and and this is something Stephen King did as well. If you're struggling for consistency, one thing you can do is designate a writing space. And whether that's in your house, in the cafe, um, in a closet, which is what Stephen King did. He wrote in the laundry closet. Um, What it does is it kind of communicates to your brain like, okay, it's time to go to work. Like this is this is where it happens. And and after a while, um, sitting down in the same place or and or at the same time you will naturally become more productive. And it, it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't need a, you know, um, a cabin on Walden Pond. Like if, if you, but if you carve out that space and you keep it sacred and you keep the distractions out, um, I really believe that that helps tremendously. Yeah, that's really good advice. That's actually a great way when you're yeah in the middle of writing and you're stuck is like just switching <laughs> places or destinations, you know, uh, just to kind of mix it up. But no, hey, Jay, this has been a, a tremendous uh, blessing, and we, we learned a ton. And so thankful for you and all you do for the writing community and all the advice you shared and looking forward to hearing more from you um, and all the things you got going on, uh, trying to keep up with all that. And it sounds like you're a busy guy. So, uh, so keep in touch, and, uh, yeah, look forward to hearing from you again. My pleasure, Ryan. I really enjoyed our talk. Thanks. Right, thanks, Jay. Thanks for stopping by the Prolific Writer Podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes so we can help more writers share their stories with the world. And head over to rockhousepublishing.com for books, resources and other writing and publishing tips. See you next time.